Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Irina Higgins. She's a senior research scientist at Google's DeepMind. We're going to be talking about uh, the AI that they're working on there and what's new and interesting about it. So, Irina, thanks for coming. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So, what, um, what's a little bit of your history? How did you end up working for Google and DeepMind? It was a bit of a convoluted story, actually. Um, I studied psychology for my degree and uh, computational neuroscience for my PhD. Uh, but I wasn't actually so sure I want to stay in academia. So during my PhD, I explored a lot of careers. I did about five internships. Um, I actually was pretty seriously considering going into finance and uh, working as a quant. Uh, but at the very last moment, uh, my friend recommended that I try tech instead. So I applied to Google and got into a Google research internship. And that was just about the time when they had acquired DeepMind. So there was a lot of excitement about it. Uh, and they uh, recommended me to DeepMind. And, you know, once I met with the people and I really understood what they were doing, it was uh, essentially a very easy choice to, to go there. Okay. And what kind of work are you doing right now? What's happening over at uh, DeepMind? Well, as you probably know, DeepMind um, is kind of a mix between academia and industry. So we essentially do research work and we're trying to build something called artificial general intelligence, which is um, an AI system that can solve pretty much any task that a human can solve, uh, at least as good as any human could do it. Uh, so that's where the whole company is, is um trying to go to uh, and my personal role in that mission is um, kind of bringing my expertise in neuroscience uh, and actually I've uh, started dabbling in physics recently as well so I'm trying to bring this multidisciplinary uh, look at intelligence uh, and representation learning uh, to basically get us closer to the AGI goal. Well, right now, with artificial intelligence, it seems really narrow, even within a given task. And I don't know if people are stringing together, you know, various narrow AIs to accomplish more complicated tasks. But, I mean, how would you even approach you know, artificial gen general intelligence? What's, uh, you know, what's some of the thoughts on how to do it? Yeah, so uh, I guess no one really knows how to do it yet. Uh, that's why it's so exciting. Um, and you're absolutely correct. There is a huge camp of people who absolutely believe that um, once you have enough narrow AIs that can do single tasks really, really well, you just put them together and you have what you need. Uh, but from what I've seen so far of these incredible algorithms that you know beat human champions in certain uh, games or in like image recognition, um, they are still really uh, brittle. Right, so um, changing the image just by a little bit of, of noise can completely throw an algorithm off, even though a human is completely 
uh, okay. Um, you know, they really struggle with small variations of the, of the game or uh, of the task. So given how complex the natural world is, I just don't think we can ever come up with enough narrow AIs to really cover the, the space of all the tasks that the, it could potentially be faced with. Uh, so my approach is to try to understand what it is about the world that makes, like, what are the commonalities between the tasks and how the brain exploits these commonalities to, um, to become as general as it is. Uh, and it seems like there are some very fundamental principles that uh, create this, this interplay that we can try to kind of uncover and then build models that uh, try to replicate this. Well, what, what areas of uh, AGI are like the first stabs? You know, there are particular tasks that for some reason would be, you know, if a, if a machine could do them, that would be like a very significant step towards AGI. I think anything to do with um, generalization or transfer. Um, so, for example, uh, we have algorithms that can play Atari games really well. Uh, and some of the like most famous games involve some sort of like paddle and ball situation, like uh, Breakout or Pong. So even though visually the games are different, we as humans understand that what's going on there is there's an abstract notion of a paddle and an abstract notion of a ball. And the, the goal of the game is to keep the ball kind of in the air. Um, so we can very, very quickly generalize skills between different uh, versions of, of this kind of setup. Uh, I think if we can have an algorithm that has the same generalization transferabilities as um, as we have as humans, I think that would be a significant breakthrough. Well, when computers play games, um, and they're getting really good at some of them, what, what's going on? I've heard that AI is like a black box, and it's hard to figure out what's happening you know, inside the learning. Do you, what insights do you have into that? Uh, yeah, so that's one of the big criticisms of uh, deep learning, that we still, as a field, understand very little of why our algorithms are as successful as they are. Um, so part of my input to this whole journey towards AGI is, is trying to think uh, explicitly about representations. So what is it, um, like, what should the algorithm learn inside to allow it to solve all of these different tasks uh, easily, efficiently, and generalize well? Um, and this is essentially what all neuroscience is about, kind of thinking about what does the brain do with the sensory inputs that it receives. Like obviously, we get some images into our eyes, for example, on the retina, and how are they processed through subsequent stages in our cortex to uh, give rise to all the intelligent behavior that we have. So I'm trying to apply similar kind of reasoning to AI systems and the um, the possible benefits of those is not just the improvement of the algorithms, but also uh, we might understand what's going on. It, they become more interpretable. Uh, and we may kind of like try to figure out what lies behind intelligence in general, whether that's uh, biological or artificial. Well, again, what, what can you go into about some of the new learnings in, um, in artificial intelligence? So there new models that seem to be working better, or are you getting new behaviors that you didn't see before, you know, from AI systems? Yeah, so um, actually one of the last conferences that was, uh, that actually still happened in person before the unfortunate virus situation was uh, AAAI uh, in January. 
and they were lucky to have um, Yang Likun, uh, Joe Hinton, and uh, Yoshio Benjo as speakers there. And um, uh, I don't know if you're aware, I mean, they are uh, Turing Award winners, essentially it's like Nobel Prize in computer science. Uh, and they are kind of like the godfathers of AI. Um, and if you look at what they said, all of them agreed that the kind of future of AI is in something called uh, unsupervised or self-supervised learning. So um, even though we don't really know how to do it yet, uh, it seems like um, if we have, if, if we want to have some hope in getting the generalization that we want to have, um, we need to kind of think about unsupervised learning uh, and representation learning is part of that. Well, so what does that mean for a layperson? Again, what uh, unsupervised learning what are some of the key things involved in it? And, you know, how do the algorithms work versus uh, supervised learning? Uh, sure. So basically all the successes that um, we may have heard of come from either supervised learning or, or reinforcement learning. Uh, and what these things, uh, the way they work is for every input to the model, typically there is some sort of teaching signal. So we know what the model should produce uh, and we can adjust its errors pretty much at, at every step. Um, with unsupervised learning, as the name suggests, there is no supervision. All we have is the data. So uh, that's why it's so hard is that, well, what do you want your model to do? We don't know. Uh, and this is why it's so important to uh, look at potentially other fields for inspiration. So for example, we can look at how the brain processes the same data and what kind of, uh, Kind of how does it reformat the information that it receives and try to uh, capture that uh, into our models so that they learn similar representations. And then we can feed those models uh, into some sort of supervised learning setup and potentially learn, uh, kind of solve all the same tasks as before, but uh, have the extra properties of being kind of more robust and more generalizable. Well, again, any projects that you can talk about that, Google is working on their particular tasks or things that really would be like a, a big milestone of success? Well, I can't really talk about uh, any unpublished work, but some of the projects that I have been involved with uh, have to do with uh, something called disentangling. So disentangling intuitively is this idea that um, for every scene we see in the world, there is some sort of um, kind of intuitive way to describe it. For example, if we look at the objects, um, one way to kind of describe that scene is in terms of the shapes of those objects, their positions, their sizes, their colors. Uh, and what we're trying to do through disentangling is build a model that can look at many, many images of 3D scenes, for example, and through that learn all of these uh, intuitive uh, generative factors uh, that represent the data. So if you show it a new image, it will tell you, okay, this image has three objects, uh, a circle and a square, and the, the square is on the right, the circle is on the left, and one is blue, the other one is, is red, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so it gives you interpretability, and it gives you kind of really nice representations to work with. So um, we have a, a whole line of work in that direction. So uh, any other AI efforts out there that you think uh, are close to a breakthrough? Or like, do, you, do you perceive that AGI is a long way in the future, or do you think it's going to be possible soon? Or, you know, what's your general feeling since you're in the industry? Uh, that's a very hard question. Um, I guess no one really knows. 
my personal feeling is that we're still quite far. Like I would say that we need another breakthrough, a kind of major paradigm shift. Um, and we probably won't reach uh, AGI just with the methods that currently exist. Yeah, what, what do you think is needed? Um, so it's not just a matter of more layers to a neural network or something or just, you know, more data. You're saying a breakthrough is needed, a paradigm shift in order to get to AGI? Exactly. So um, when you build a model, uh, there are three major components. As you mentioned, two of them you've already mentioned, the data and the, um, the architecture. But I think the main, uh, the main ingredient is the kind of like the objective that the model is trying to learn. Like what is the loss function it's trying to optimize? Um, what's the goal for the model? Um, and again, for supervised or enforcement learning algorithms, uh, this part is, is relatively easy because you just want to match the teaching signal. But for unsupervised learning, we don't know what that goal is. So I think designing and like figuring out what is this kind of, um, what is the, the perfect goal for unsupervised learning to give us the kind of representations that would uh, move us closer to AGI, that's, I think, is what's needed. Do you, so even with, I don't know, as much data as you can ever want, with as much computing power as you ever want, what, what do you think would be the limits there? If uh, you could use, you know, the fastest supercomputer network and, again, just ridiculous amounts of data, how much better would the current systems be, do you think, than, than they are for given problems? Or it would only, would only be a, a small increase or a big increase? Like, what do you think would be possible? I think we can solve a lot of, um, a lot of tasks that don't require um, particular reasoning or abstract thinking or kind of um, you know, analogy making. Um, so I think we will be very good at um, kind of repetitive tasks, uh, the kind of tasks that the human can do really um, kind of, yeah, uh, fast and, and in a way that doesn't require much thinking. But if it's the kind of, like, for example, solving a math problem or um, figuring out, um, I don't know, how to run a democracy optimally, uh, things like that, that really require uh, abstract thought and reasoning. I think these are the things that we would struggle with still. Yeah, it's weird to think even with, let's say, you know, a, I don't know, a huge quantum computer and tons and tons of data, there's still a lot of things that uh, just can't be figured out by machines. So exactly. uh, are there any problems that you found that are like surprisingly easy for people to solve, but you know, no matter how powerful the computer or data set they can't solve anything that, um, that jumps out at you that you like, you think is funny or you just, it's weird that uh, a computer can solve it, but for a person, it's so easy. Any examples? Uh, yeah, I guess there are, there are loads. Uh, in fact, Pretty much everything a human can do without thinking at all, uh, a computer currently really struggle, struggles with. Um, for example, you can show a human an image and say, what color is the sky? And a lot of the algorithms might kind of tell you if the image contains a cat or a dog or a zebra, but it might actually struggle to tell you the color of the sky just because it's not trained on that. And that's kind of uh, generalization outside of what it was trained on that it would not be able to cope with. Okay. Well, what do you think is ahead over the next uh, year or two in the world of AI? Are there any, I don't know, are there any big events coming? Are there any, um, 
you know, theoretical frameworks that you think may be useful for the future of AI or, you know, are you able to talk about any of that stuff? So it's, it's uh, in terms of events, it's, it's hard to think of anything right now. I mean, uh, our field, uh, I guess as any, every other field right now is, is going through this transition to how do we communicate and work in a, in a world where we can't travel and everything has to be virtual. Um, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, and in terms of um, kind of like upcoming research directions, for me, it's very exciting to see um, this kind of like nascent convergence between neuroscience and machine learning, kind of bringing up supervised learning ideas, and kind of how um, many big AI labs and companies are putting out challenges for the field uh, to do with learning better representations or um, solving multiple tasks and generalizing between them or transferring knowledge between them better. So I'm kind of excited to see where, where, where we'll be as a field in a couple of years in that direction. Very good. What's the best way for people to keep tabs on, you know, Google DeepMind and other AI efforts? What, what do you recommend people look? Um, so most, uh, most companies and labs and DeepMind as well, uh, we have blogs, which are really, really uh, useful ways of, of uh, keeping track of things because um, we kind of try to explain our most exciting papers in a um, uh, kind of like uh, understandable language um, that really relates it to, um, to the real world rather than being uh, purely academic. Uh, also, uh, Twitter is a very good place. Uh, if you find research scientists you like, um, you know, follow them. Um, again, big company. So uh, I think DeepMind is going to release some very interesting uh, online learning resources uh, very soon. Again, kind of as a way to give back to the community while we're all stuck at home. Um, so I think social media and uh, blogs are a very good point. Well, very good, Irina. Thanks for coming. And I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what comes of AI and if it can really be, uh, you know, like people's intelligence. So thanks for being here. No, thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.